When you visit Arizona, time is measured in moments, not minutes. Like the moment you see the Grand Canyon for the first time. Visit a new state of mind. Learn more at hereyouareaz.com. The Dancing on Our Disabilities show is a global forum where you're invited to share your personal story of survival and triumph over disability. A meeting place to gather information from experts in the medical community and additional resources for the enrichment of society. A group dedicated to bringing information, support, and love into the lives of people with disabilities as well as their caregivers. Hello and welcome to Dancing on Our Disabilities Radio. We celebrate amazing stories of triumph and applaud the human spirit for rising above adversity and moving towards success. We share motivational and inspirational stories as well as therapeutic and medical information. If you are listening live and want to make a comment, please press star six and then press star one. You will be muted until it's your turn and placed in Q&A. I'm Myra Goldick, AKA the Never Say Impossible Lady, your host, and you can find us listed on Facebook dot com forward slash dancing on our disabilities. Please stop by and leave a comment and remember to like the page while you're visiting. You can also find us on talkshoe.com, stitcher.com, tunein.com, iTunes, and on myragoldick.com. It's listed as capital letters NSI, the AmpuSign, and D-O-O-D, short for Never Say Impossible and Dancing on Our Disabilities. Our topic today is adoption for parents with disabilities. Our guest is Rainy Ophirio, who is the parent of two adopted daughters and the host of a Facebook group called Post Polio Syndrome. She has thousands of fans. Anyone who knows Rainy knows that she's a ray of sunshine in other people's lives. She will join us in just one minute after a very short break. So don't go away. Sign up today for my weekly radio show announcements and guest information and receive a free chapter of my newest book, Dancing on Your Disabilities, Never Say Impossible to Your Dreams, My Story of Perseverance, Passion, Hope, and Happiness. Dreams do come true despite adversity. If I can do it, you can do it too. This is Dancing on Our Disabilities Radio, and once again, I'm Myra. We are going to discuss Adoption for Parents with Disabilities. It's going to be an eye-opener for me. Our special guest is Rainy Alferio. She has such a beautiful story to tell. So right now, I'm going to tell anybody who may be listening that if you want to talk to Rainy or join the conversation, you will need to press star six and then star one. 
Now, Rainy, I just can't believe your story. It seems so amazing to me. So I'd love you to share it for people who don't know about what you went through to be a parent. Well, thank you, and I'm looking forward to sharing uh, my story of adopting my two daughters from India. I am a post-polio survivor. At the age of 26, I married, and it was always a dream of mine to become a parent. I'm from an Italian family, very large, and we all love children, and I wanted my own. My husband and I discussed starting a family, and for some reason, I wanted to talk to Newington Children's Hospital, to Dr. Gage, who took care of me all my life. And I went up and I made an appointment, and he really didn't feel it would be wise for me because of the certain surgeries that I had done, nine operations for my polio. And those operations got me up and walking with the aid of crutches and braces. Um, never being pregnant, I really have no idea what balance and how it affects you. And he went over all this with me and decided that it would be best between carrying you know, a child inside of me for nine months and probably ending up having to have cesareans deliver that he would advise against it. I came home. It was like my world ended. I wanted out of the marriage. I didn't feel it was fair to my husband, who loved and wanted children. And I remember sitting on the floor, and I just cried. I just felt like life was over. And he said, look, he said, there's adoption. It sounds easy, doesn't it? That's adoption. <laughs> sure does. <laughs> it's not easy when you're disabled. It's not easy at all. It's a fight. You have to prove that you're capable mentally and physically, of raising a life. I started with my own country, the United States of America, where I was told no. And I was like, why? You're disabled. And that label, that label hurt. Yes, I do have polio, but I'm not... You're not incapable. That me. Unbelievable. Correct. So we went on, you know, just working, taking care of our, our lives. And my husband said, well, what about international adoption? Let's try that. So we went to our first meeting. And I came out of there with such hope because there are so many countries that have children that are available. So many countries. So many orphanages around. Um, so we had to look at each country. Uh, you have to look at cost. You have to look at time because um, it took me 18 months before my first child arrived home. Long time. Mm. We also had to think that some countries um, make you go and set up residency there and you finalize your adoption over there, you could stay over in Russia for anywhere from one to two months before the adoption is finalized and you come back with your child. Uh, the same thing with China. And my husband couldn't get away from his own business for that long of a time. 
So that was out of the question, and we started eliminating countries. There was a few that I did apply to, and I was also told no because of my disability. And to think that these children were there homeless, homeless children, and I was told no because I walk with braces and crutches. It's almost unbelievable. It is almost unbelievable, but I gave up. Nine times I was told no, and nine times my heart was broken. I said no more. I couldn't take another door being closed on us like this. And, you know, in the meantime, every time you apply, you have to go through a social worker, and you have to have a home study and all this. And I just said no more. It it just got too much mentally for me. So one day we were out shopping, and a friend came up and said, well, how is the adoption going? I was like, don't even ask. It's out of the question, don't even ask. And she said to me, did you try um, Mother Teresa Missionary of Charities over in Calcutta, India? And I'm like, no, no more. Please write to her, Lorraine. Please write to her. So I did. And during this letter, I kept repeating myself, now, Mother, remember I'm disabled. Now, Mother, remember I am disabled. I have polio. And Myra, she wrote back to me. The first response was hope when I received a telegram from Mother Teresa. And she said, I do have a question. And yes, Mother, can you love? I said, well, of course I can love, Mother. And she said, children grow on love. She gave me my first child. I, I adopt- like crying listening to you. It's, it's a miracle. I mean, it's really a miracle that that I am a mother um, to two beautiful girls, two beautiful girls. I adopted Nicole from Mother Teresa. We had our home study. We went through all this. Now, mind you, international adoption is not easy. You have to go through so much. You have to be cleared by the FBI. You have to be proven that mentally you're competent to raise a child, physically as well. And that was a little bit different for me because I'm here I am going to ask for perfect help when, you know, I'm walking in on crutches and braces. Um, but I passed. <laughs> and she said to me, um, she wanted to discuss the fact that carrying a child, an infant, is very easy. But she was concerned with me needing the crutches for balance. How would I carry a child? valid point Mm -hmm. so she asked me if I would be comfortable adopting a toddler she was two years old Myra she could have been 20 and I was going to adopt this little girl I felt it was meant to be and I said yes mother I said you know I am interested in a two-year-old little girl my first daughter did come home from India two weeks after her second birthday she adapted well, well, um, but you have to understand that children coming from third world countries do come home with scabies. Uh, they come home with lice. Um, they come home uh, no vaccinations. And, of course, you know, the very first thing we did was to get her vaccinated against polio. And you can understand why, correct? <laughs> Polio was the number one vaccine I wanted in my little girl. So um, we picked up Nikki at the airport. They, she arrived at JFK. Uh, we had to go through all kind of uh, 
court documents that we were going to raise this child a Catholic because, as we know, Mother Teresa of Calcutta is Catholic. So we had to sign court, court documents that we'd raise this little girl as a Catholic, and, and we said yes, and we happened to be Catholic. So uh, we went through all the formalities and everything that was required. You have 24 hours to get that child seen by a pediatrician once they arrive into the United States. So that following morning, our first trip out was to our pediatrician, and he um, looked at me, and he smiled, and he says, I think you want the polio vaccine? I said, yeah, I think so, I said. So, you know, she was immunized immediately right then and there. Um, it was difficult road probably for both of us. There was a language barrier. She spoke Hindi. I spoke English. I did learn basics, food, water, bathroom, her stomach, her things like this. What made it hard was my firstborn, Nicole, who, the orphanage, she was abandoned at birth, okay? In each country, they have different ways of abandoning children. Some leave them on trains, some leave them in trash cans. Some leave them on the streets, the side of the street. Each country is different. When Nicole was found, they told me it was um, within 24 hours of her birth. And they brought it to the orphanage, and there was no room. So Mother Teresa took her to her place with her. My daughter was raised for the first two years of her life living and sleeping with Mother Teresa. Soon we could say St. Mother Teresa. Mm -hmm. And Nicole was um, very blessed to, to have Mother raise her for the first two years. I wrote to her the second time asking for a second child, and Mother said to me um, she was sorry, but because of the abortions that are going on in the United States, she was no longer sending children to our country. And she says Switzerland became the, the, the uh, new country where she was sending her children to. But she gave me a recommendation for a second child, and that was Shrivatsa. And that's the um, orphanage my daughter, Kristen, was in. And Kristen came home in 86. And she was three years old. So she was a little bit older. Kristen had a harder time adapting to me with the crutches and the braces. Um, She bonded with her father and wouldn't come by them. It took her, uh, I would say, a good year because she wasn't exposed. I mean, when they live in the orphanages over in India, it's not like they're out on the streets. And, you know, they read, you know they pre-warned me that they've never seen people with blonde hair, and that'll freak them out. And it did. Uh, men, men with beards. Uh, you know, the orphanages are really cared for basically by women. So some of them are very afraid of men. Uh, They've never been in a car. They've never seen a television. They've never been to a grocery market. And the first time we took Kristen to go grocery shopping, she freaked out. My ex-husband literally had to take her out of the store, sit in the car and calm her down because she just just totally lost it in the grocery store. Was was she frightened, rainy, uh, crying? What do you mean she lost it? She just was 
screaming and and shaking, and I think it was just the amount of people and the noise and all this, you know, food. I mean, grocery stores are active. You know, and people are pushing these carts around. These are children that never seen a TV before. They never rode in, in, in a vehicle before. Taking them home from the airport was the first time they they uh, were in a car. It was the night we picked them up. Wow. Were they, both of your daughters, a two-year-old being easier, I would assume, to adjust than the three-year-old because with each passing year, we become more and more, what would the word be? Comfortable with your surroundings? Yeah, with your environment. And when you take a child or even an adult out of their environment suddenly, and they're in an alien type of surrounding, I imagine that there's a shock that goes through the psyche. Two-year-olds are more able to adapt than a three-year-old, and if four or five, forget it. That must be even more difficult. Well, you know, As, Kristen at three had it really difficult, I think, because Kristen came home two days before Christmas. Now, when they leave India... They have a long journey because they have to go to New Delhi to get to the airport. So they have to take a train, and they, they're taken to New Delhi. Now, JFK here in um, New York has what they call a escort service. And these they're stewardesses who volunteer their time to go to these foreign countries and bring back our adopted children to us. They go a week prior so they can spend time at the orphanage with the child. Um, they will. They have asked me to send two or three outfits and some soft plush toys that the child can play with on the airport, on the airplane. Excuse me. And both times I had wonderful escorts that kept in touch with me. Um, they got, you know, they pick up this child, they play with them there for a week, they feed them, they bond a little bit with them, then they bring them back to the United States. Now the flight is a 32-hour flight. It's not through at all. They travel the world. Mm. And their last stop is London, where there's a six-hour layover. In London, they have a little nursery set for these children where the escorts can bring them in, shower them, dress them, and get them ready for their final journey to arrive home. Jet lag, (laughs) ten-and-a-half-hour time difference. Uh, language barrier. Kristen, like, she was very frightened, very frightened. Little things like um, they come home with no shoes. So the first night Kristen was here, I put her in a onesie with the feet in because it's wintertime. Well, she freaked out with that as well. And when I say freak out, they, they, they'll cry. They're so frightened. They shake. And they're so scared that they'll go into a corner and they'll just just blow up to themselves and and, and just cry until they actually cry so hard they fall asleep. It's How sad. painful for you to see it and feel helpless. Yes. And then to add to it, you know, they're coming home to somebody who's walking around on crutches and, you know, braces. And that's something they probably have never seen before. And, of course, I would fall. And when I fell, they would get scared. But, I mean, I was fine because, you know, I felt like every other day. But in the beginning, I mean, they would be startled like fall and, you know, they would get all worked up and cry. And I'm like, I'm okay. Mommy's okay, you know. 
and show them that I'm getting back up again. Then, of course, as they get older, they laugh at me because <laughs> things change. <laughs> it was the most joyous occasion in my life. The, there were barriers. I can't tell you there wasn't. There was. And I had to, I had to step up and, and, and get over it. And, and I did in time. But it's, it's so rewarding that I honestly, I know you're a parent yourself, Myra. I can honestly tell you that I could not love Nicole or Kristen anymore if I gave birth to them myself. Those are my daughters. I love them as you love your own. I totally believe it. They are your own. Just they are my because own. you didn't totally. carry them in your womb does not mean that the mm-hmm. love and the, and the bonding isn't the same. And I always tell them, you didn't grow in my belly, you grew in my heart. Mm, it's so beautiful. Because that is exactly where they grew. You know, sight on scene, um, you know, we live in such a a world where where looks and things, material things are so important. But when it comes down to wanting a life, I didn't care about the color of the child. I didn't care about the, the shape of the child. I, I cared about the love this child had inside to offer, like the love I had to, you know, to offer them. And we grew as a family. And it took time because, you know, you don't bond with strangers overnight. I knew nothing of this child, nor they knew nothing of me. And it, it, it was really a lot of laughter, a lot of joy, a lot of tears, and a lot of sorrow at the same time. At the same time. And, of course, you know, there's a ten-and-a-half-hour time difference. So they were up all night, and I was ready for bed. (laughs) So needless to say, I went for maybe each time when each child came home, probably about a week with no rest. I remember calling the pediatrician, and I was crying, and he said, what's wrong, mother? And I said, I can't do this. He said, yes, you can. I said, no, really, I can't do this. I said, that's overwhelming. And he said, Mother, I'll order something for the child. Uh, They come home and the food change is drastic for these children, drastic. They've gone from drinking goat's milk and buffalo milk and then coming home and going on cow's milk. It made them very sick. So they they threw up a lot, right? No, the other end. Oh, they, oh, God. Well, you know, they come home and they end up with dysentery, too. The the entire... sanitation system and everything in some of these yes countries that aren't as progressive as ours even if we travel there we could become very ill as adults with developed immune systems children are mm-hmm. uh, even more vulnerable Myra it, it, it was so sad because we have such a surplus of food in this country and I know for a fact that my oldest daughter, Nicole, she lived the first two years of her life on nothing more than rice and pea soup. Till this day, she will not look at pea soup. They must be vitamin deficient. They do. They come home. Yep. They come. Do you recall seeing these children on TV? And they all look like they're like two or three years old. And they look like they have a pregnancy belly of a seven-month-old woman. Mm-hmm. Well, that's because, of the, like you just said, and what happens is you have to, you know, the liver is swollen, 
And when the liver swells, the stomach swells. So, you know, they had to take iron. I don't think they had any iron in them. So, you know, right away we had to go on liquid iron, and uh, that almost made me sick just giving it to the child, but they had to have it. I mean, you go through so much. You know, you take this little child who, who, who just gorges food, and that's what was happening. They would gorge until they would vomit, and I had to start limiting the, the, the you know, the amount of food. And any time a box was empty of cereal, they would cry and cry because I threw the box away. And I would say it's all gone, but mommy's going to buy a new one when we go shopping. Mommy will buy new cereal. But what they didn't understand that. They just understood they were given something different, and they would eat it and 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 eat it until they got sick. And I cried many a times. It's not easy. It's really not easy in the beginning. Rainy, I want to ask you a question. That Something that I experienced with my first child. Mm-hmm. When I was pregnant, first of all, my mother never told me that they had told her that I would never carry a child to term. Mm-hmm. Because she of the polio. To, because of the polio. She didn't want to tell me because she thought that I would automatically not try. It was difficult. I, I, I had two pregnancies. She didn't tell me until I had my second child, miscarriages in between. I began to really realize something was wrong when I couldn't push the first child out. Mm-hmm. And they eventually induced it and had to use forceps and everything. I'm really blessed that she's not damaged. But I didn't know if I could love this little baby. And they brought her to me after this, like, two or three days of horrible labor. And she was post-mature, so she was very, very thinny, thin. She was about five pounds, eight ounces, with peeling of almost translucent white skin. Uh-huh. And, uh, you know, because she was close to dying inside because they didn't take her out soon enough because I kept going into labor and uh-huh. it would stop. But that feeling I had when they brought this little baby and put this tiny little thing in my arms was not one of instant love. It was, who are you? Am, can I love you? It was so bizarre. So I'm wondering if that happens in an adoption. Of course, I, I, I would die for my children. But it took me a couple of days to feel something. Maybe it was a labor. Maybe it was a shock of the whole experience. But I don't think so because I started worrying about it in, in my seventh month. I'm going to get this baby. What if I don't love it? So... I'm wondering what happened with you as an adoptive parent. I was totally the opposite. I was totally in love with this child before I ever got a picture, before I ever ever seen her, ever felt her, ever ever held her. I was in love with the little girls. Both well, little that's girls. beautiful. That's I have to say I was, yes. Wonderful. Beautiful, uh-huh. beautiful. Now, what did you do about potty training? I'm sure in an orphanage they weren't potty trained, and that's always very difficult. Well, believe this or not, 
they both came home fully potty trained, set of teeth, of course, two and three years old. They were fully potty trained, and um, it was just a matter of, let's say, seeing a toilet is different than what they were accustomed to over in India. Mm -hmm. I know Um, what you're talking about. (laughs) We learned the hard way when our child was sitting in our lap and we were reading and they were saying, she, 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 she. And we were like smiling because we had no idea what she was saying. And then when she would wet, we knew real fast what that meant. So everything was trial and error. <laughs> and the next time she said she, she, we'd run her down to the bathroom. And uh, they were fully trained. But I did go back to diapers um, for a short period of time simply because, like I said, all the food changes, it, it just, it's not the child's fault. They would go into stomach cramps and just lose control, and I understand that. They would cry because, you know, Kristen used to tell me all the time in her language her stomach hurt. And and I knew it wasn't anything more than, you know, I spoke to the pediatrician, and he said, look, you know, they have a lot to adjust to here with the food changes, a lot. And we tried limiting, and everything was new. It was going through just like a baby stage again, allergies and and what she, you know, broke down with and broke out with. And it was a rough road. It's, It's a... It's a long two years, I would say, before you really, really, really can take a deep breath and just enjoy having a child in your life. With those two years, when would you say was the time the, that you felt they saw you as mommy and your husband as daddy? When, when was it comfortable for all of you? Mm. Nicole, for some reason, bonded with me. They tell you ahead of time that the child will pick one parent that they bond with. They, you know, here they are coming over with such change that that one person they're most comfortable with is, is the person they're going to bond with. Nicole bonded with me um, immediately. So I would say... For some reason, I don't know why, but Nicole had a complete comfort zone with me. So I would say about about six months for Nicole to feel that. Mm-hmm. Where Kristen bonded with her father. And because he had to go to work every day, the poor little thing would stand at the slider and just wait for him to return. And, you know, she realized it was her dad. I mean, she bonded with Brian very, very quickly. And it took her a little longer. I would say uh, it took Kristen a good year, a good year, Mm. because she just waited for dad. He'd come in that house, and it was like the heavens opened. She was so excited. She'd be dancing when she seen the car coming up the driveway. and, And she was very, very close to Brian. And, you know, we always had to work together because, you know, I would say, Brian, let me read her the bedtime story tonight. Or the following day, I'd say, well, why don't you take Nikki for a walk today? You know, because we wanted them to bond with both of us, of course. So we had to work as a team to get that. Well, how about telling them? When did it happen? You had an even more complicated situation because your daughters didn't look like you or Brian. And they were Indians. So now, when did they start looking at themselves and then looking at you? Nicole started around the age of three years old noticing there was a difference. Mm -hmm. 
she started noticing that not only Brian and I didn't look like her, but none of her aunts, none of her grandparents, none of our friends. So she would say to me, Mommy, I want to be white. And I would say, but Nikki, you're such a beautiful brown. You're from India. And, and, you know, unfortunately, she tried painting herself and powder, white powder on her, baby powder on her. And it really bothered Nicole more so than it did Kristen. We lived in a very white community. And when Nicole attended kindergarten, she was the token child of some color, brown. And uh, the teacher said something about... um, the children to go wash their hands, and one little boy said, well, um, how do you know if her hands are dirty? She's uh, brown. So Nikki came home. She said, Mommy, he called me brown, blah, blah, blah. So I said, Nikki, wouldn't be fun. I said, let's let's do an adoption program in kindergarten. I said, I'll talk to your teacher, and we can show them on the map where where you came from. And we did that, and it it was great. It was really cute little program that we put on. And Nikki would hold up the crayons and say, see, I'm brown. And she'd you know, point to the brown crayon in kindergarten. And that really did good. Where Kristen, it didn't affect her at all. Not at all. It's so strange because here I have natural daughters that are exactly what you're describing. And they are our, my husband and I are natural children. One had blonde hair, believe it or not, my older daughter. The other one is more like me. She's um, lighter in complexion than I am. Uh But she's, if you saw us together, you would pick her out as my daughter, where you wouldn't pick my older daughter out as, as mine. And one... She tans very easily, like I do. I'm constantly tanned here in Florida. But when she, when summer, spring would come, and she'd be playing outside, and she would come in, I would demand, of course, that both of them wash their hands before dinner. And she yes. would. And I would say, they're still dirty. Can you imagine? I said, wash them again. <laughs> and she said, I did, Mommy, I did. And then I looked at, of course, at that time, they were still wearing long sleeves. It was in hot summer. Correct. And it would stop at her wrist. And I said, oh, forgive me. I didn't realize your hands were tanned. And she's the one that felt more insecure about having a mother of color and a Jewish father. She's the one because she had more color and I would say the same thing to her that you said to your daughter I think Nikki felt so left out so lost that we made a point of saying to her oh Nikki you're a good dancer just like Aunt Jackie oh Nikki you're a good reader just like Aunt Joe." and when we started doing that it was a big um, comfort factor for her to identify with somebody else in the family as being, you know, as one. Where, you know, if somebody would say something to Kristen, and Kristen's like a free spirit, she's her own individual, and someone would say, oh, you're dark, and Kristen would be like, yes, I'm beautiful, thank you. <laughs> That's Kristen. <laughs> I mean, they're different. They're so totally different. Um, I'm just to let you know, um, 
Nicole has no medical history at all and um, no idea who her parents are. When you adopt from India, the records are sealed. They are never to be opened. Mm. So she has no background. Kristen was born out of wedlock. Her parents were both students at the University of Pune, and her birth mother attempted to keep her. And for the first 11 months, Kristen lived with her birth mother. And she finally realized this is something she just was not going to be able to handle because Kristen being born out of wedlock, this is back in the 80s now, Kristen would have been denied medical and education, and she wanted more from the child. Mm-hmm. So her birth mother made her a beautiful book of her life with her mother. No pictures. Little pictures of Kristen, baby pictures, but not of the mother. She wrote her a beautiful letter, um, you know, told her about the family goodbye and how she was doing this and how Kristen was coming to me in the United States, and she was going to have an Indian sister. That was the mother's wish that she come to the United States and go to a family that already had an Indian child so she wouldn't be the only one. And a little, little tiny bit of her medical background, but not very much. It was very hard to explain to Nicole why I had nothing of hers. And I kept, I, I did not give this to Kristen until she was uh, 18 years old. And we sat down as a family, we went over all the records together, and I used the word adoption from, from right from day one. Uh, by the time they were, you know, four or five, they completely understood what, what adoption was. Completely understood it. But it's, Kristen would love to go to India someday. She would love to see her country. Um, I always tell them that there's so much beauty in the, in their mother country. I will never deny that. We have studied Indian culture, cooking, uh, music. Um, Kristen mm, loves cooking. wearing I'm coming for dinner. <laughs> yes, it's delicious. <laughs> and um, it, it was the most rewarding experience, probably the happiest time of my life. When I look back now, was the bonding time, uh, a growing to love one another. How beautiful. How were their teenage years? Typical. <laughs> <laughs> Typical, you know, starting to date, the heartaches, <laughs> becoming home, they broke up, cry to mommy, um, you know, let's try to, uh, you know, outsmart mom, um, you know, let's try drinking. And I mean, they're. Typical. They're just, they're so Americanized, you know. They're just typical teenagers. Yeah, they're typical teenagers. I think raising teenagers is the most difficult time of raising a, a child because the influences, the outside influences, outweigh what we've spent the the whole beginning of their life teaching them. And when these outside influences with different value systems, these kids that are Coming from homes where the parents are overly permissive and they're drinking and they're... Oh, and my kids are so funny because they say, oh, Mom, I know you don't like her. And I'm like, no, Kristen, I didn't care for her. I said, <laughs> um, 
that that is your friend and she's welcome in the home. And, you know, those old guidelines, you know, you can't tell them they can't see half of their own friends, but you keep a closer eye on it, you know. And then afterwards you'll always say, oh, Mom, you were right. We're not friends anymore. You know, typical <laughs> things like that. I did want to mention was the fact that um, I did hear you're not my mother, which they say that every adopted parent hears during an argument somewhere. You're not my mother. And I would say, you know what? You're right. I'm not, you're right. I'm not your biological mother, but I am your mother. And respect in our home was not, never was it in, uh, it was mandatory, never was it an option. You know, and I'm not their biological mother, but I am the woman who raised them, and I am your mother. Mm-hmm. Well, I think every parent, particularly during... Oh, yeah, was exactly right. Was doing, yeah, they get very rebellious, and when we were all do this, you know? Yeah, I mean, sometimes the kids say, I can't stand you. I hate you. And yes, yes, I heard that, too, yes. <laughs> but I have to say, I do want to touch on this. I truly, from the bottom of my heart really believe that being adopted into a family, either, um, you know, the mother or the father, doesn't matter. I really believe that it makes the child a more compassionate, more loving human being to be raised by somebody who's disabled. Mm -hmm. They understand how hard it is at times. Um, they understand that I am different than, you know, others, um, and it's okay. Um, it shows them strength, courage. I really believe it makes them a better person. And I, I raised that two too. beautiful girls disabled. Mm-hmm. I remember something as a parent when I worried when they began to run. Because I've never been able to run. Nor have I. And one, one, my younger daughter, not my older, I don't think it was my older daughter, it was my younger daughter. We were standing outside with several other mothers and children, and everybody was playing. And one of them, and I think it was my younger daughter, saw a friend across the street and darted into the street. I was able to actually catch her before she hit the the middle of the street. Mm-hmm. She never she never did it again. People ask me how I was able to manage that, and I believe it was because she knew I was so serious when I caught her, and so powerful. I said, "Don't you ever run from mommy again." She never you did know- again. One time and one time only, uh, we were at the grocery store. I was in the handicapped parking spot, and I got Nicole out of her car seat, and I stood her right to the door, and I said, you'd stay right here, let Mommy get her crutches. Whatever, I have no idea the child took off running, and I mean she took off. And, you know, here's my pocketbook on the ground, and I'm screaming, Nicole, stop, I'm trying to get my crutches. And some man said, can I grab her? I said, please do. And he grabbed her for me, and I remember, you know, trying to walk as fast as I could. And I got there, I threw my crutches on the ground, I got down, and I I had a spanker right there, to be honest with you, (laughs) because I couldn't have her running for me. And, you know, the more I screamed, the more she ran. (laughs) 
<laughs> and it was scary. It was very scary because I felt powerless. Yeah. It's, in a it's, parking lot, you know, with cars coming and going, a very busy parking lot. Well, it that, is scary. It is very scary. It's very scary. scary. That same night we went down to um, Toys R Us, and it wasn't a harness. It, I don't know what they called it, but it was like a telephone cord. And one, one would you put one uh, on your wrist and one on hers. So she couldn't get away from me, and that's what I had to do. Well, we couldn't even do that because of the crutches. So my kid, Kristen, um, I'm sorry, not Kristen, Nicole in the beginning would hold the crutch. They say, okay, Mommy, I hold your crutch, and they hold the crutch. And I say, okay, good, you help Mommy walk. But then at least I knew she stayed with me at all times. Well, she outgrew that. And learned how to run, and like you said, when they when they learn to run and they bullet like that, there's nothing you can do. <laughs> I just prayed no car hit that child. I mean, she took off the but she never did it again after that one time. Well, you <laughs> know, you you were blessed and you were a very good mother. So well, I thank you. I thank you. No child comes with a manual. You know, it's uh, <laughs> trial and error all the way. But was I blessed? Yes, God did bless me. But I would like to share one thing with you. Mother Teresa came to the United States. Uh, let's see. Nicole was in second grade, and Kristen was three years younger. And they were a mother was doing a um, talk on abortion at the Blue Army Shrine in New Jersey, and we were invited because she wanted to see um, the children. Of course, I called the school, and they said, my gosh, yes, we'll excuse her that day, take her to see Mother Teresa. Well, dressed them all up, pretty little girls, and we went, and Mass was wonderful. Mother came in. My daughter, who Mother adopted, um, who I adopted Nicole from, uh, presented Mother Teresa in the altar with rosary beads. And she held my daughter up, and I'll never forget what she said that. She said, this little girl's adopted in America now. She lives here. And she said um, uh, that abortion was a double murder. It would be the murder of this beautiful child and the mother's conscience. And Mm -hmm. I remember just crying as she was holding up my baby. I felt so proud. Afterwards, we met Mother Teresa privately. Now, here's my two little girls that just look like angels, okay? Mother came out, and Mother... They told us, well, you're not allowed to touch her. So we just bowed. We put our prayer hands together, our hands together. And Mother said to me, um, took my hands, and she kissed them. And I, I was speechless. I wanted to thank her for this gift, the gift of life. I couldn't find the words. I think the tears in my eyes it just kept rolling down my cheeks, told Mother, thank you from my heart. And she looked at my little girl, Nicole, and said that, um, you know, hello, and, and Nicole called and talked to my mother, and she asked her, what would you like to be when you grow up? Are you ready for the response? <laughs> Out of the mouth of children, my daughter looks at Mother Teresa and says, um, I'm going to uh, I'm gonna be, uh, be, wait, wait, let me think. Hold on now. i got to get it right with her. Hold on. Oh, I'm going to be a cock. Um, I'm going to be the cocktail waitress at the bar. Oh, now, my children have never been in a bar at that age. Okay, where did she get this from? And I looked at her and I said, Nicole, didn't you want to be a school teacher? And she's like, No, mommy, I'm. I'm going to work in the bar. I'm going to be a cocktail waitress. 
Probably she had seen a picture. And well, she had that... to, but Myra, my daughter, Nicole, is a school teacher. <laughs> <laughs> Kristen um, works at a hospital uh, for respiratory doctor, and, and they're both beautiful young ladies and um, doing well in life. You know, I have a story about Mother Teresa. I personally have never met her, but my husband was a counselor at Sing Sing Prison in Osning, New York. He counseled these these inmates, and uh, maybe it was during that time frame when she was in America, but she visited Sing Sing. Okay. And for some reason, she singled Neil out. She blessed him and gave him a St. Christopher's medal. Now, I can't tell you how many brushes with death my husband has had, but I've always believed it was because she blessed them. I don't know if she felt something, saw something Correct. In, in him that she wanted to do this, but it was, it was a very magical moment for him. And when he knew that you were going to be on the show and you were going to be talking about adoption and that you had gone through Mother Teresa for your first, he said, did you tell her, did you tell her I met her? I met her. And I said, no, I didn't, I didn't tell her, but I will I'm tell her. I'm so glad. Show. Please tell me. What a beautiful story. Your, nothing is, is more beautiful than your story. <laughs> and embarrassing when she said she wanted to be a cocktail waitress. Cocktail waitress is a bar. And I'm like, I'm just standing there like, honey, you tell mommy you wanted to be a teacher. No, Ma, I don't want to be a teacher. Well, she's a kindergarten teacher. She's a wonderful teacher. So it just goes to show you, you never know what children, they're just going to answer them, you know, and that's it. It, it comes out of their mouth. Anything comes yes. out of their mouth. <laughs> and I just, um, I don't even know how to explain that. It's not the feel. I mean, meeting Mother, it, it is an honor. Don't get me wrong. I love Mother. But it's the life that I have that she gave me, these two beautiful children. Yeah. That touched me the most, of course. And, um, you know, there's not a day that I'm not thankful. Um, our family is a large Italian family. We have, I think... It's either 11 or 13 adopted children. We have children from Guatemala. We have children from China. We have children. I mean, we're like, uh, you know, we, we joke and we say Thanksgiving. They should all have a little flag of their country with them. But we love children. And, um, you know, my daughters, Nicole and um, Kristen, are nothing but blessings in my life. I was very fortunate. You are a beautiful person, and you deserve the well, I thank you, but Mary, so many disabled people think that life is over and that they can't achieve these things. They can. But they that's what can. I wanted to ask you. What would you like to say to people who feel the way you did when the doors got slammed in their face and <laughs> they give up? Yeah, you know, just never give up hope. Believe in yourself. Um, I had to prove to them that that I am qualified to love another, to love a child, to raise a child. We've done things differently, but we achieved them. You know, granted, some mothers play soccer with their children. 
um, some mothers dance with their children. I wasn't able to do those things, but I was able to do other things. I was able to become involved with Girl Scouts with my two. Uh, Kristen played soccer all her life. I never missed it. I became the soccer mom. You know, don't let your disability, and don't let someone say, no, you can't because you have a disability. Yes, you can. Yes, you can. I love it. I think it's beautiful. I think that your message to the world, to the parents that want to add to the family, maybe they've been able to have a child, but they want a bigger family and they can't conceive. Why would you want to leave these homeless uh, children in these uh, uh, orphanages, bring them into your home, bring, share the love, share your success with them, and turn them into our future. It's As beautiful. Mother Teresa said, children grow on love. So true. Rainy, this has been a fabulous interview. I thank you for sharing a very personal, very intimate. Myra, as always, it's a pleasure working alongside of you. <laughs> you're welcome. And I thank you for having me. You're and, most um, welcome. Myra, should anyone contact you and want to know about adoption or how you go about international adoptions? Or, you know, please feel free to give my name out. I'd be more than glad to help anyone. Someone once asked Kristen what it was like having a disabled mother. And this was Kristen's answer. That's just my mom. I don't, she doesn't have a disability. She's my mom. <laughs> mm. That's the truth. Yeah. <laughs> and, and Kristen really believes that. What disability? She's my mom. That's just not my mom. And I said, okay. <laughs> but once again, I thank you for having me. It's always my pleasure. And um, you have a great afternoon. Yes, and thank you, Rainy. And for you out there in cyberspace, you can find us on facebook.com forward slash Dancing on Our Disabilities. We are also listed as NSI. These are capital letters and the sign D-O-O-D, which stands for Never Say Impossible, and Dancing on Our Disabilities Radio on Stitcher.com, which is Bluetooth, TuneIn.com, TalkShoe.com, um, it, it's iTunes, it's on my website, and there is a blog that accompanies every show. Thank you, and if you get the chance to sit it out or dance, dance. You've been listening to Dancing on Our Disabilities, a production created for the people and by the people. If you wish to contribute information, your story, or reliable, validated medical information to our program, please visit Myra Goldick or visit our Facebook fan page at facebook.com slash dancing on our disabilities. If you own a vehicle with less than 200,000 miles and have an auto warranty about to expire or no warranty coverage at all, listen up. 
CarShield has a low-cost, month-to-month vehicle protection plan that covers more parts than ever. Visit carshield.com audio to find out how you could pay almost nothing for covered auto repairs. Drivers who activate this vehicle protection today will also receive free roadside assistance, free towing, and car rental options at no additional cost. Get your free quote today at carshield.com audio. That's carshield.com audio.